Strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Rage. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. SeatGeek, your tickets to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Darren Urban. How about this Urban kid? Unleash the fury! Look, if the 49ers can tweet out, quote, against all odds. When the Niners have literally been favored in every game this season, including the Super Bowl, if every Super Bowl official gets a Super Bowl ring, fact, if the Kansas City mayor can say, quote, she is welcome to stay forever, talking about Taylor Swift and the economic impact to the city itself, right? If the Dallas Cowboys can interview Rex Ryan, for their defensive coordinator job. And if a media member can ask Drake Greenlaw this week, uh, would you get a tattoo of Brock Purdy's face if it guaranteed you a win in the Super Bowl? If all that can happen, we most definitely can bring you the Big Red Rage starring Drew Stanton momentarily, all presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Paul Calvisi here, Ron Wolfley on assignment. We have upgraded. A pleasure to welcome in Darren Urban. And Darren, uh, it is a big show. A, there were there were a lot of ifs there. Uh, putting the big into Big Red Rage tonight. Show number six fifty overall. That's going back to two thousand one. And if you were to put all those shows together, Jim Omohundro did the math here. Uh, you've heard of binge watching. How about binge listening? It would take you twenty seven plus straight days to listen to every single edition of the Big Red Rage back to back. Yeah, I'm going to take a pass on that. No offense, Holmes. <laughs> What kind of reporter were you doing those media days? You, you weren't oh. the guy. You never put on a wedding dress or asked the wacky no. question. No. Were you, Darren? Come on. No, and in fact, <laughs> that only got worse as I... I mean, it was it was just in its... I don't want to say its infancy, but it was really getting going hard when yes. I first... My, the first Super Bowl I attended was after the uh, 2000 season. And it was there, but it wasn't... Didn't I think it peaked... A few years later, and and it's it's still there now, but I, I think it, it was somewhere in like the mid aughts, I would say, is when it got really really bad. But yeah, there was there was plenty of that, and I was trying to do regular stories on those media days, and it wasn't easy. See, I'm trying to remember Super Bowl Thirty, Sun Devil Stadium, Cowboys and Steelers, back still when it was Emmett and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. I'm trying to remember if there was like a media day and whether it was a craziness and insanity. Whatever, doesn't matter. Right now, right here in the Red Sea, Darren Urban, as you know, there are two kinds of people and only two. Those who would draft a receiver number four and those who would not. Which camp are you in? I'm not ruling it out, um, but and I know people hate it when they ask me my questions because they all want black and white, but I'm just I'm not a black and white type 
of answer giver. But you get a lot of the co- those questions sure. in the mailbag these days, right? But, but like, I don't think the Cardinals have made that decision. So how would I, you know, for me, there's so much that goes into it. I mean, they haven't had a chance to talk to all these players individually as much as they want. Obviously, they've done a lot of the scouting, but we know what kind of players they are. We don't know what they're... Uh, what they're going to address in free agency. We don't know exactly how they feel about... Let's take Harrison, for example. Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. If you think he's a next-level type of talent, more so than some of these other receivers, I, I understand why you want to get it. But we don't know how they've interpreted it. And there are people out there that see Harrison and a couple of these other receivers really close. And if that's the case, I don't know if I'm willing to burn the fourth pick on that or whether I might want to trade down before I make a pick. And, you know, there, there's a lot that goes involved. When you're picking up four, it's great because you get a great player. You should get a great player. But when you're picking at four, there's also pressure to make sure you pick a great player. And, and oftentimes, you're kind of forced to go in only a couple different directions because your needs might not line up with like it there's it doesn't seem like for instance there is a cornerback that is worth the fourth overall pick maybe i'm wrong and maybe they'll see it differently but that's obviously something they need but they're not going to be able to take a cornerback there so then you, you you have one less position you're looking at look if the game is one in the in the trenches then okay to me that's where the top five look it's either quarterback get to the quarterback protect the quarterback now if you're going to give the quarterback wide receiver one, if, dare we say, you're going to give the quarterback a Hall of Fame receiver, a first ballot guy like a Larry Fitzgerald, then absolutely. Marvin Harrison Jr. is your guy at number four. That is the question. Is he that guy? And we pose that question to Frank Sanders on just that conundrum. Do you draft a receiver, including Marvin Harrison Jr., number four overall? This was last week on the Big Red Rage. There are three or four receivers right now on the top of the list that just makes your heart melt. They're all six foot three, six foot four, tall, lanky, rangy guys with arms. You know, they can make all kind of plays from the from the one step hits to, you know, throwing the ball down the field, not afraid to go across the middle. And Marvin Harrison would be something that you just would love to have, especially because you know this could be uh, you know, another dreaded hair situation like Larry Fitzgerald. Yep. A guy that runs all the routes, he's got speed, quality on every area from the outside to the inside. He's knowledgeable as a receiver, so you're winning in that area. But I will add this in. There are a lot of receivers out there, man, that can make plays that if you can steal them in the draft between the third, fourth, and fifth round, that's going to be absolutely helpful to Kyler. Yeah, that's Frank Sanders once again, former Cardinals receiver. Don't make me break out the list of all the Pro Bowl and all Pro receivers this year who were not taken in round one, but once again, it's a persistent question you're getting in the mailbag, right? Well, it's funny because I I did get a question this past week on azcardinals.com, and the question was, and thankfully, it was if you can guarantee that you were getting a Pro Bowl, guarantee now, a Pro Bowl talent at the fourth pick for the next five years, what, what positions would you want it to be at? So he's not saying okay. Harrison's your guy. He's saying if you could guarantee that, who it is. And the bottom line is, if you're talking about not names and you're, you're posing it like that, wide receiver's not in that list. It would be it would be a cornerback, it would be a tackle, and it would probably be an edge rusher, maybe an interior defensive lineman, but it you wouldn't say receiver like that. 
And once again, if there was a Sauce Gardner there at number four, like a couple years ago, absolutely. If a Miles Garrett was there, you know, the edge rusher extraordinaire, then absolutely. But that guy seemingly is not there at number four. And if quarterbacks are going one, two, three, like most mock drafts say, then okay, what do you do if you're the Cardinals? Here's Roy Green, the legend, Ring of Honor member, also a guy who wore number 81, right? Big-time receiver in Cardinals history. And we asked him this week on the Red Sea Report on receiver versus other positions. I don't know. I think of a couple more guys I want to grab before getting a receiver. But that's just me talking. Prior to the season, we said, hey, we need a defensive tackle, a dominant defensive lineman. We've always talked about where is that cornerback going to be? Where is that guy that we have? We haven't had those guys. You know, if we want to go where we want to be, in my opinion, to be in those playoffs next year, you know, those are things we have to address. All right, that is Roy Green this week on the Red Sea Report. Now, look, I was arguing with Wolf, and I contended, and this really wasn't a hot take. I think I honestly believe this, is that if Marvin Harrison Jr. is drafted before the Cardinals selected four, that could be a best-case scenario. That means one of those top three quarterbacks falls. And then, for example, you could cash that in. You could leverage a team's dire need for a quarterback at number four and trade with Atlanta and go down to eight, for example. Still get one of those top tackles. Daniel Jeremiah put out his list. Eight of his top 17 prospects are tackles. So it's very deep, whether it's at eight, for example, or if you're second first round pick at number 27. I'll be honest. I would be surprised if that scenario falls to the Cardinals and this is why because if you're one of those top three teams and you're not taking a quarterback you're the team making the trade and Harrison is probably going to be on the board that would be my guess possible no no doubt but we've seen teams like Atlanta go for a tight end at number four Kyle Pitts a couple years ago you know? and would they do that over if they could <laughs> oh, yes they would. they would well you think so Kyle Pitts really top five you think they do that over again uh, yeah, I do. And, and I'm not saying he's not a great mm. talent, but you got Drake London the next year. And, and if you could have been in a situation where you had, I mean, their offensive line has been okay. Like, again, maybe it changes now that they've got Raheem Morris in there and maybe if they get the right quarterback. But see, the, uh, Atlanta's problem is they don't have a quarterback. And once again, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's the Raiders, There are teams in the middle of the first round, and you wonder, how poised are they? How willing are they to give up the farm to come up and get a Jaden Daniels? The other scenario I talked about was, okay, you're looking at that one quarterback rising. A year ago, it was Anthony Richardson all the way up to number four. Could it be Michael Penix Jr.? Could it be Bo Nix? Maybe, just maybe, after you're done with the combine and the pro days and Seemingly, there's always that one guy every single year. Hey, join the Cardinal season ticket priority list. 2024 home opponents include the Bears, Chargers, Patriots, Jets, Lions, Commanders with Cliff Kingsbury, and of course the NFC West. Go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. All right, what does a former NFL quarterback think about all this? Drafting a receiver? Uh, what does he think about Kyler Murray? Drew Stanton next on the Big Red Rage. the ball short set stands in the pocket throws deep near side going for john brown he caught it in the end zone touchdown john brown second nfl td wide open running a corner route and a great read by drew stanton snap to stanton short set pumps right now throws middle for brown caught in the end zone touchdown a laser by stanton john brown second score 
game, third on the year, and the Cardinals lead. And Drew Stanton with another laser beam. There you go, Darren Urban. See, that's another receiver I need to add to my working list over here. Big-time dynamic receivers not drafted on day one, round one. John Brown back in the day as we interrupt the nonstop offseason and post-playing career of a former Cardinals quarterback who, uh, I mean, we need to tap into all that NFL knowledge that people need to hear, right? Fans demand Drew Stanton. He is our guest here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Drew, how are you holding up these days? I'm doing great, thanks. I don't know how demand, in demand I really am, but I appreciate the lead-in. I, I do have to ask this question as I'm listening to the... I mean, we're just hearing these sounders like we hear all these play-by-play sounders. Obviously, we're never going to get a chance to hear one about us. Like, when you're listening to that, do you, like, go back in your head of those plays or... Is it all just mush sometimes in terms of No, memory? it's not mush for me. I only had so many good plays, so I love hearing them. <laughs> Especially the John Brown, so I could say, you know, like, I love hearing those highlights and being able to do it. So, you know, those were good times and good memories. And, and again, such a great experience I had being a part of the Arizona Cardinals organization for five years. You're not like one of those Sean McVays, though. If I say, you know, 2013, week 11, third quarter on third and seven, like, you don't remember the play call. You, you can't go that in depth, can you? No, I wasn't a play caller. <laughs> I can tell. I mean, I can go back to different situations and different things of what happened, transpired, or different. You know, for instance, right, the whole Justin Tucker situation that came up. Oh yeah, uh, where he was, you know, doing his little warm up. That happened in Philly to us with Donnie Jones. He was punting, and Eric Winston kicked the ball back at him. And I was like, that's one guy that I probably wouldn't try to mess with because we were trying to warm up and do all that stuff and and whatnot. Uh, So, again, you see all these things and you remember those type of things probably more than anything as opposed to third and three in the third quarter, week three. All right, look, Drew Stan is our guest, former Cardinals quarterback. And if my memory serves, when the Cardinals hired Drew Petzing as offensive coordinator, you cited the run game. And sure enough, by the end of the season, the Arizona Cardinals finished fourth in rushing yards per game, second in rushing yards per carry, and first in 20-plus yard runs. How impressive was the Cardinals' run game before we get into Kyler and the rest of the offense? It was very impressive, right? But that's, again, you stick with what you know. And he came from an unbelievable system in Cleveland and understanding, hey, we have to establish the run. Kevin Stefanski tries to protect the football. He utilizes the run to set up play action and then push the ball down the field, much like we saw with Cleveland in the past, and that's their identity. So you stick with what you know, and you find ways to make it work. And it was very impressive because – uh, you know, as well noted as everything is in the NFL, the teams that can establish the run and stop the run, those are the teams with the most success year in and year out, week in and week out. And, and we saw that pick up to the latter part of the season, which is super encouraging because a guy like James Conner that can carry that kind of a load uh, to be able to do it in the run and pass uh, keeps defenses off balance. Well, we're just going to say that's a great segue right there, Drew, because I want to then ask, if if that becomes an identity and they did it so well, when we start talking about this first pick at four and there's so much talk about Marvin Harrison or another receiver, like kind of what is your thought process on that early pick and the talent that might be at the top of the draft and, and what you think could happen and what should happen? Well, I think when you have a generational talent that comes along like Marvin Harrison and I know that there's a lot of great wide receivers that are, you know, up for being the first pick uh, off the board for wide receiver position, 
but I just I saw the guy play in person. I've seen him and know people that know him extremely well in the pedigree. I mean, you look at if you were going to make a wide receiver on and off the field, just how he carries himself, all of those things. Because when you're investing the top five pick in somebody, you can't miss. You cannot miss, and you can't say, "Man, I didn't understand that." And I look at that, and obviously I'm biased from a quarterback position, but when you have a number one, a true number one wide receiver that you can get, I don't think you pass that up. Now, I was wrong because last year I would have taken Will Anderson, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, knowing what I know, but uh, at the same time, you get a chance to trade back. You get Paris Johnson Jr. He has a great, great rookie season, and rightfully so, is you're saying, okay, now we're moving forward with Kyler as our franchise quarterback. We need to be able to protect him. And so you invest in the offensive line. Now what's another way of investing in Kyler Murray is you go out and you get a a bona fide superstar to be able to roam outside, and it doesn't matter if he has single coverage or double coverage. They're where it leads into it with the run game. Those can marry it up. And then you're going to see single high safety where you have the opportunity to get one-on-ones on the outside. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that Marvin is what you would want on the field and off the field because I feel like a top five pick, you said you can't miss. I, I think that's part of the equation is because that that person inevitably is going to be one of the faces of the franchise. And obviously we saw it with Fitz for so many years where he was an ambassador uh, not just with what he was doing on the field, but because of how he was off it. I mean, I, obviously, I would think ownership would love that here if if they, when they go through the process, they find that about Harrison or any player, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other side of the coin that you try to get as much information as you can. You see what you see on film. You assess what's on film, but when you're investing the top five pick in somebody, you better make sure that you know everything possible about them because, again, you're looking to be able to strike gold with somebody like Larry Fitzgerald that can become a cornerstone or a pillar that you are sitting there trying to build around. And you just say, okay, we're good. We're set at wide receiver for now on. And, and everybody's so quarterback crazy, right? You're starting to see all of these people trying to trade up or do different stuff, especially for the quarterback position. So to be sitting at number four, uh, it's a very good position to be in because – to me, you're looking for somebody that's going to be a 10-year type of guy that you can plug and play and, and not have to look back. And Marvin Harrison, in my opinion, again, is that kind of a guy. Former Cardinals quarterback Drew Stan, our guest on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Former Lions quarterback Drew Stan. The reason I bring that up is if you're telling me Marvin Harrison Jr. is an ex-Larry Fitzgerald or a first ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely. Run the card up to the podium. I get it. My hesitation is... The Lions, for many years, took a lot of receivers, top 10, and they whiffed. But then they finally hit on a Hall of Famer in Calvin Johnson. It really didn't change their fortunes very much. And you only see a Lions team now competing for the Super Bowl after they address the line of scrimmage. So I guess I'm just wondering if, indeed, Monty Ford is going to go a similar direction to which the Lions just did. Yeah, I mean, look, you look at that offensive line and, and – you could take the other side of the coin and say, okay, well, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you have Jamar Chase, that's great, but your quarterback couldn't finish the season and you had a chance to draft Panay Sewell. So what are you thinking now, saying, man, I wish I had that Pro Bowl left tackle and we could have made do with the other wide receivers in the room because the quarterback can't throw from his back. And that's the thing that you have to assess and say, okay, where does DJ fit in this equation as we move forward? We know we have Paris Johnson Jr., do we look for, again, we, we saw the risk of taking a guard. Jonathan Cooper, I could tell you, was an absolutely amazing, amazing prospect coming out. 
And unfortunately, one injury, because he's so athletic and 10 yards downfield, puts himself in a position where he snaps his leg and is never the same player again. So do you invest that in a guard, uh, a center, too high of a pick? So where are you looking at that you can get difference makers? And, and again, I think you assess what you see and not only the wide receiver position, but you feel really good about Trey McBride. And so when you can control the outside and the inside part of the field, you're going to be able to just help your quarterback that much more. All right, Trey McBride, uh, what sort of weapon is he? Uh, we see all the tight ends who advance so deep in the playoffs. Roy Jetstream Green on the Red Sea Report this week, he said, you know, the elite tight ends are uncoverable because they're too big for a corner or a DB and they're too fast and skilled for a linebacker. I mean, what do you think the upside and future holds for Trey McBride? I think the upside is tremendous. That's why they felt good, you know, about letting Zach Ertz go, and that's why Steve Kime and that regime wanted to draft him. He was the first tight end off the board, so we shouldn't be surprised with what we're seeing. And I think truly, this system fits him better now than Cliff's system. And you see that because he can play in line, he can do different stuff, he can set up stuff off a of play action, or you feel good about splitting him out. And, and again, that's just kind of the trend of the NFL at this point, or has been for the last decade, is finding guys that can put their hand in the dirt be serviceable blockers, but then be a complete mismatch when it comes to the pass game because, as you said, how do you match up in personnel? And every team tries to do it differently, and some teams do it better than others, but but you're going to have to allocate somebody to him to try to stop him. And if those guys are really good, the Travis Kelseys, the George Kittles of the world, you give them options, you give them multiple ways to go, they're going to beat you and find ways to win. Okay, so we've talked about the running game and the receivers and maybe the offensive line and tight end. So we, we dial it back to, to the quarterback where, where it starts. You know, it felt like there were there were some bumps, like Jonathan Gannon said there were going to be when he first returned from the ACL, but it did feel like Kyler was trending up in the right direction by the end. It looked like he was getting more and more comfortable under center and running the Petsing offense. And I can understand why they have high hopes for him. What did you see in terms of his eight games and, and where he might be going? I saw a guy that started to understand situational football, really. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I think we would sit there and scratch your head at times in Cliff's system where they'd take a shot on third and two and be like, well, why don't they just throw it underneath? Or, you know, uh, live to see another down and throw the ball away. Hey, it's a red zone. We're okay kicking a field goal here. Or knowing all those things, the game within the game, and I think that comes a lot of different ways. Uh, I think when you take away – the fact that you know he had to sit and watch this system and learn it from the sideline and then go out and try to implement it, that that's a huge advantage because his whole life he's always been the, the starting quarterback. He's learned on the fly, on the job. And so being able to kind of peel back those layers and say, hey, this is why we're under center here. This is why we're in this formation expecting this kind of coverage that's setting it up with this. This is why we're shifting and motioning and getting into these different things and we can marry it up with that. And then the light bulb comes on and you all of a sudden, yes, he is as good of an athlete as there is at that position in the NFL, but playing quarterback is far more than just being a great athlete. And I know the, I can't remember what the stat is. Wolf probably knows it, but however many times when Kyler ran or had rush attempts in a game, they were going to win. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything because there's no longevity in that for quarterbacks in the NFL. You've got to be able to do that. And I think Kyler has the ability to change pace on his throws. He understands how to lay your throws in. He understands coverage. He understands all of these things. But being able to be under center, being comfortable in that, and truly playing quarterback 
as opposed to being an athlete playing quarterback and turn it into backyard football at times. I think that's where you start to see some of these things and the excitement for next year is, is really on the horizon. How big a deal is it he'll be able to have an entire offseason with his receivers, unlike a year ago? We always hear about that, cohesion and chemistry and being in sync. How real is that? I think it's very, very real from the standpoint that you have to sit back and say, okay, well, yeah, everybody runs a curl. Everyone runs a slant. Everybody you know, runs a go ball or a post or any of these routes. There's only so many routes that you can run. But at the same time, the detail of those routes matter immensely. The feel of those guys, just like the lead in the, uh, that we heard about John Brown running his corner route. You knew that John Brown was going to come out of his break. He was going to stick his foot in the ground, and you had to put it out there. You could not underthrow him because he was going to be so far down the field. Other guys just have a different feel. Michael Floyd, I had to throw the ball a little bit different to him, understand how he was coming out of his break. I just had to get it close to Larry, and he was going to catch it, which made me feel really good. <laughs> so all of these guys are completely different on how they do stuff, and that's what the offseason really is for, right? You look at the phases and, and whatnot, and that phase two situation operation of on the field, getting a chance to walk through and talk through and run through routes, that, that is where you get the opportunity to really get guys. So when you get into a weekly game prep or, or anything in the regular season, it's like, hey, remember this in training camp or go back and watch this in training camp. We had this concept in versus this you know, coverage that we're anticipating seeing so we can get to it, and it becomes second nature. And that's just developed over time. That's through repetitions that you're talking about, Paul. All right, down the stretch we come with Drew Stan, former Cardinals quarterback on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. I don't know if there's one thing that stands out to you as a key to the Super Bowl 58, but let me ask you about the experience factor at quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is fourth in five years. Brock Purdy's in year number two, obviously never been there and done that. You were around Tom Brady a few years ago, Super Bowl week. Just the whole experience factor at quarterback, how how big a difference is that going to be, you think? Well, I think it's big uh, for a few reasons, right? Obviously, they have a schedule set up, and Patrick will just say, you know, this is what we're doing, and everybody follows suit. I saw that firsthand as you talked about with Tom Brady. But Kyle Shanahan's been in a Super Bowl before. He was leading immensely in a Super Bowl before. So (laughs) he knows what that preparation looks like from an offensive standpoint, and I'm sure they've had a lot of communication. He's running the ship, and and there's nothing wrong with that. This first time around for Brock Purdy, it's okay for him to be comfortable and say, you know what, I'm not going to pretend that I don't know what I don't know. And that takes maturity. That takes somebody that's very comfortable with who they are. And as much criticism as he's gotten all year, He's very comfortable with who he is, and he understands the skill set that he has around him. He understands all these things and and one of these things. But my biggest piece of advice to him would just be, you know what, once you kick that ball off, it's just football. You can't win the game in the first half as the Detroit Lions know. You've got to go out and play four quarters. Drew, we really enjoyed it. Some great insight. We're, we're also going to get more of your clips going. We're just going to listen to Drew Stan highlights all afternoon. <laughs> yeah, right. Spin it, yeah. yeah. Get all eight of them out. Yeah. Ash has a couple of ones. I've heard some other ones, too, when I was with the Lions about uh, old Wolf. So, you know, all of them are good. Hey, and all those parents, right, you're coaching their kids, tell their parents to appreciate the fact they have a longtime NFL quarterback as their kid's head coach. There you go. Beesh. All right, appreciate it, yeah, Drew. I Thank will. you. All right, there you oh, go. Thanks, man. Yep, Drew Stanton, former Cardinals quarterback, our guest on the Big Red Rage. I tell you what, we'll come back. We'll talk about Cardinals free agency, needs, wants, what's feasible and doable, all coming up next in the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. 
Kaiser White just set the tempo for everybody out on this field right now between the white lines. What are you going to do about it? A message has been sent. What is that message, David? That message is uh, we will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaiser White's a thumper. He has been all over the field, and he is a physical guy as well. Kaiser White, boy, turned on the Jets to get to the quarterback. Yeah, Kaiser White can run. Flying in there at the end is Kaiser White. The culture of physicality is what this is about. He's a very physical player, and one of the reasons why the Cardinals wanted to bring him over when Jonathan Gannon got the job. What a big play by Kaiser White. Kaiser White getting off an awful lot of blocks right now and making tackles. Hit and sacked by Kaiser White. Kaiser White, manhunter. Track and bag, Kaiser White. Passion Wolf. That was just from week one and two. When you got it, you know it. And the Cardinals knew right away. You know what? Kaiser White is a legit Mike linebacker. Not just the plays he made, but his ability to get the play called, to make the checks, get everyone in the right position for a defense to play fast, play with some nasty. I mean, it was early in that season opener at Washington. He started he started a fight on the sideline with that physical yeah. hit. I mean, so right away, uh, no doubt, he did make a statement, and we'll see if the Cardinals are going to do something similar once free agency begins. It is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Darren Urban, and for Ron Wolfley. And really, Kaiser White would be the big name, would be the big signing from a year ago. How much bigger do you think it gets this year in free agency with some $42 million or so available under the cap? Now that Monty Osborne, Jonathan Gannon know what they have, they have a better understanding of what they need in free agency. I think there's a chance there could be a splash signing or two. Um, I don't know if, if Monty's the type of guy that's going to top the market with the splashiest signing. Um, and I'm very curious to see who is available at the positions they so desperately need, especially on defense, defensive line, edge rusher, cornerback, if any of those things are there. Especially when we sit here and we, I mean, we just earlier in the show, we're talking about the draft, Paul, and what might be available at four. And I think you need to keep that in mind. Okay, if you're thinking to yourself, that cornerback may or may not be there at four, it could be there at 27. The tackles are deep. Like, I think there's some positions you might want to look at in free agency to try and get to bolster those early because you're not 100% sure you're going to be able to get a blue chipper in the draft. No doubt. And look, um, you know, there might be a corner like Terry and Arnold of Alabama who has the size, has the skill set, the athleticism. We'll see. You don't truly know what the Cardinals' war room thinks is someone like that, but would he be someone at number four? So when I say you might trade out from four down to eight, or dare I see even down to Vegas at 13 or Minnesota at 11, you know, maybe you still target the corner at that point because there don't seem to be a ton of free agent corners available. And you don't just need one, you probably need two. In terms of defensive linemen, though, there are some names. For example, Chris Jones, according to all reports, will be playing his last game as a Kansas City Chief. Remember, they had the whole contract stalemate that caused him to miss the first game. And then you have other guys who are tracking towards free agency. Pro bowlers like Baltimore's Justin Matabuike, Jonathan Greener to Houston, Demneil Hunter of Minnesota, you know Christian Wilkins, a lot of speculation out of Miami, what exactly they're going to do there. Chase Young, who really needs to rebound after the NFC Championship game. Uh, He appears to be hitting the open market. So, to me, if there's big money on a big name, 
I'm guessing it'll come at defensive line just because there seems to be more supply than maybe demand this year. I would agree, and I, I think those are some fascinating names. I mean, I, I think you want to be smart. Um, you know, I do think the Cardinals are in a position where they could challenge for a playoff spot next year if they do things everything right in this offseason, but I think the defense has to get a lot better. And you got to be careful. Are you going to hand out a, a four or five year deal to a guy who's 28, 29 years old? I mean, that's, I think that's got to make you pause a little bit, depending on how big the deal is. For example, uh, Daniel Hunter, age 29. And he just had a career year, 16 and a half sacks, and he led the NFL with 23 tackles for loss. Jonathan Greenard, career year, had a career high in sacks, 12 and a half for Houston. Matabike, right? He just had a breakout season, went to the Pro Bowl. And it can't help but remind you of a lesson learned with Jordan Phillips a few years ago, who had a breakout contract year for the Bills, came to the Cardinals, big money. Thankfully, it was only a two-year deal because it didn't work out. But we were talking to Kyle Vandenbosch, former Cardinal and Cardinals analyst on the Arizona Cardinals radio network, and he was talking about, you know what? You don't need to look at their best year as a free agent. You need to look at their worst year. That you look at, you don't look at the ceiling. You look at the floor to try and get an understanding of what you're getting. And and if I'm Monty Austin Ford, yeah, that that's a tough assessment. Okay, who am I getting, and why are they playing? Are they strictly playing in a contract year for the big money? And if we give them that money, what happens next? Well, and again, guys who hit the free agent market and their current team isn't willing to give them that money. That's always going to make me pause. Chris Jones is a little different of a situation because of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, contract and some of the other issues the Chiefs have because they've been so successful. But Chris Jones is also somebody who, as long as he doesn't get too old too fast, I believe is going to be a really good player. Hunter's a, another guy. He might have had statistically a career year, but we already knew Daniel uh, Hunter was one of the best edge rushers, and that's why there was an issue this year. He, he wasn't going to play at first. He wanted to be traded, and he finally came to an understanding with the Vikings, and he balled out to make sure he got the money he thinks he deserves. But he's been a really good player, too. A year ago, you saw Monty Asifort enter the second and third stage of free agency. Kaiser White came in that second stage of free agency. A Yelda Froholt, who ended up starting every single game at center, second stage. You know, Will Hernandez, a couple of years ago, was in that second stage. And you really you got a good deal on Will Hernandez and then re-upped him. But then a guy like an L.J. Collier, a Carlos Watkins, who really played well in such a limited sample size. Both guys were done by the end of September. But when you need D linemen, and those guys prove themselves on a very short-term basis, how do you assess some of those Cardinals free agents and the likelihood they might be back? Well, for for me, if you're trying to bolster that defensive line, if, if you believe what you saw out of Collier and Watkins was worth bringing back, I would try and bring them back because they're not going to cost very much money and you can't replace everybody on the defensive line. Not that they have to, um, but, I mean, you've got Jonathan Ledbetter, who's coming off an ACL now. Um, you needed to improve that whole group anyways. I mean, there's... There's some work to do on that defensive line that you're not going to be able to do with one big free agent signing or one blue chip draft pick. You're going to need more guys than that. The other thing to remember, especially when it comes to defense, I'm not saying you don't get a blue chip defensive lineman that can wreck the game. But again, when you're talking about spending a super high pick on somebody or spending a lot of money in free agency especially, you're going to be rotating out the linebackers. You're going to be rotating out 
the edge guys. You're going to be rotating out the defensive line. Now, I'm not saying a really good guy isn't going to get more snaps than maybe they did this year, but if that's Nick Rollis' philosophy that you're going to rotate these guys all the time, how much are you going to give them if you're only going to play them 60% of the snaps? Cardinals played Chicago late in the season, and I think once you saw Montez sweating what he did for that Bears defense, you understood the value of a number one pass rusher. That guy off the edge. They gave up a high second round pick and they paid him big money. But he, he really set the defense. Agreed. Once upon a time, Chandler Jones did the same thing for the Cardinals. Once you give an offensive coordinator, that guy he has to game plan for. And then it's amazing how much opens up for everyone else and it just sets your defense. As for offense, as vexing as it was Hollywood Brown this past season, how many deep shot touchdowns they missed to Hollywood Brown by my count, at least four. The fact his stats were suppressed and he ended the year being injured, do you think that helps the Cardinals maybe trying to re-sign him? If nothing else, maybe on a one-year prove-it deal. We're allowed to talk about that. How realistic do you think that is? Well, I mean, I, I don't know what's going through Hollywood's mind, and I don't know what the the market might look like. I will say this. If you're the Cardinals and you want to draft a blue chip wide receiver if you're Hollywood Brown do you want to do your prove it deal in a place where Michael Wilson's up and coming and they just drafted a blue chip receiver how much are you going to be able to prove it and Trey McBride's getting 10 targets a game so I think all of that could play into a factor but again Hollywood Brown's got to make that decision long before the draft that's true and he has that relationship with Kyler Murray, so we'll see. Hey, a reminder, you can listen to your favorite Cardinals podcast at home or on the go. Search Arizona Cardinals podcast on your preferred podcast provider or visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. All right, you heard what Drew Stan had to say earlier about the Super Bowl. We'll get into that next, the Niners and the Chiefs. And if you're the 49ers, uh, be afraid, be very afraid of when Patrick Mahomes is deemed an underdog. That is next. It is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Kittle has got it, and the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. Bet on red. Viva Las Vegas. Come on. Christian McCaffrey's going to his first Super Bowl. Brock Purdy's going, going to, to his, his first, first Super Bowl. Bowl. The 49ers have won this crazy championship game, and they are going to the Super Bowl. This game is over, and you can doubt the Chiefs. You can dislike the Chiefs. You can disrespect the Chiefs. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs being the AFC champions for the fourth time in five seasons. The Chiefs have the Lamar Hunt trophy, and they're taking it to Vegas for Super Bowl 58. About it, Mitch Holtis, Chiefs Radio, preceded by Greg Papa, Tim Ryan, Niners Radio, the final calls in the championship game setting up Super Bowl 58, a rematch from four years ago. And Darren, I hate to inform the 49ers, but Patrick Mahomes all time as an underdog is nine and three. And uh, he has said this week, and I'm quoting, it's kind of lit a fire under some guys, including myself. So an ultra-motivated Patrick Mahomes going into this game, I figure is going to be tough to beat. Where do you stand right now in this matchup? Because we both know the 49ers real well, being in the Cardinals division against a Kansas City team that has been a stalwart on Super Sunday. I mean, I think ultimately I I do like the Chiefs because of Patrick Mahomes. And that's not necessarily dissing Brock Purdy, but it's really, really hard after this march through the postseason that the Chiefs have had to think – 
he's not going to figure out another way. And if the 49ers defense was as strong as it may have been in a couple of their other Super Bowl appearances, maybe, but the 49ers defense seems like it can be had at times. And I think that helps the Chiefs. And I think the Chiefs defense is pretty good. Now, they've got some injuries. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how uh, the Kansas City and Steve Spagnola deal with. But, I mean, there's the Chiefs remind me, and obviously the Cardinals didn't win in 2008, but the Chiefs remind me a lot of the Cardinals in 2008 in terms of, like, by, by the end of the season, you were wondering how far they were going to go in the playoffs. A little different situation, I get it. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately, not only did they do really well and get to the Super Bowl, but they very well could have won it. And that kind of it's always about who's playing the best football. And I just don't feel like the 49ers are playing yeah. the best better football than the Chiefs. I, I would agree with that. Chiefs are definitely playing their best ball of the year. For example, they led the NFL in drop passes 44 during the regular season. They had zero in the AFC championship. They're just playing really clean football right now. The Niners are not, especially the Niners defense. To your point, Kansas City had the number two total defense in the NFL, but the last two games for the 49ers, they've given up a combined 182 yards rushing. Actually, that was just in the uh, NFC Championship, and they obviously gave up a lot of rushing yards against Green Bay. So between a hard-charging Isaiah Pacheco, who runs as hard as anyone in the league pound for pound, and what Travis Kelsey has been doing. Forget all the Taylor Swift stuff for a minute. He's been unstoppable, and against Baltimore, 11 catches on 11 targets for a touchdown and over 100 yards receiving. What did the Niners do to try and check and neutralize Travis Kelsey? Well, I mean, that's a great question, and and I'm not really sure how that is going to go. And and don't get me wrong. The 49ers have a very good team. I understand why they're favored. I think it's like two points, so it's basically a pick em. And am I going to be surprised if the 49ers win this game? Absolutely not. Um I do think it'll be close, and and to me, it's it's. I want to see can this 49ers offense really get a rhythm against this Chiefs defense, which is really good because I I think that's as well as the Chiefs have been playing. It's not like they're scoring a ton of points. They are still using their defense to get to where they want to go. And Brock Purdy, look, he had the game-winning drive, obviously, against Green Bay. And then he had the big comeback after being down 24-7 and half against Detroit in the NFC Championship. So for a young quarterback, he's been in the spotlight. There's been high-pressure moments, and he's come through. But once again, it's that Niners defense and former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes, the Niners defensive coordinator, saying, quite honestly, it was embarrassing. How do you have a lack of effort in the NFC well, Championship game? Yeah. And at least for the Niners' sake, Chase Young came out and owned it because there were some film clips where he looked really bad. Well, you know, again, I, I think it's going to be hard not to have the effort in the Super Bowl. I, I'm wondering if they were got a little high on themselves after beating the Packers and having a home game. And the Lions, the Lions are the Lions, and that they I, I there's a good chance they underestimated them and they are lucky they got out of it. I I'll go back. I thought it was interesting where Drew Stanton said that if he could give advice to Brock Purdy is when he goes out there to remember it's just a football game because I don't know Brock Purdy at all, okay? I don't know how he in, uh, internalizes things. Obviously, he's got to do a pretty good job of it to play NFL quarterback at the high level that he has played. But if you turn the ball over early, if you fall behind 10 nothing, how does he handle that? Does it cross his mind? Oh, my God, everybody's going to be wondering why I'm not you know, doing this. I told this story earlier in the week, Super Bowl 43, Cardinals in Tampa. It's game day, and I was on the last bus to the stadium. Players were on that same bus, and I've never, ever been on a team bus with that much tension. 
you could cut the nerves with a knife, yeah. right? And and all of a sudden, the last guy on, and I don't know if this is by design or not, Kurt Warner. And he walked on without a care in the world. And it's as if the whole bus exhaled. Everyone sort of channeled themselves through Kurt Warner, and they reminded themselves, oh, yeah, he's been here and done this. And guess what? He's not overly amped up. He's not ultra nervous. Why am I nervous? Kurt Warner, he's got this for us. And so maybe just maybe the Niners and Kyle Shanahan's experience will rub off. We'll see. I'll just say this. It's a crazy stat. But the past three teams in NFL history to be favored in every game in a season, regular season or postseason, every one of them lost the Super Bowl. The 2017 and 2007 Patriots and the 2001 Rams. All were favored in every game, all season long, and every one of them lost the Super Bowl. And you can't tell me that an ultra-motivated Patrick Mahomes isn't going to come out there. And by the way, you know what's a crazy stat on Patrick Mahomes? You realize when you get that quarterback, prior to Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, since the merger, had been 4-16 and in the playoffs. Ever since Mahomes is a starter, they're 14-3 and in the postseason. Well, and the other thing, too, is... And I'm not saying this is necessarily playing in. Obviously, the Chiefs very badly want to win this game. And they have many players, I'm sure, that don't have a ring yet. However, if the Chiefs lose, no one, everybody's still going to say they're a great team. Everybody's still going to say Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. All these things. If the 49ers lose, Kyle Shanahan this, Brock Purdy that. I mean, I do feel there is a crap ton more pressure on the 49ers than the Chiefs. I like Nick Bosa uh, working the uh, media and maybe working the officials when he was asked what he thought of the Kansas City O-line. He said, quote, they hold a lot. So we'll see. Niners have so much invested in that front seven. Can they be the difference against a really good Kansas City offensive line, which, by the way, did lead the NFL in enforced holding penalties this year. So we'll see how it comes down into the trenches. Darren Urban, thank you. Special thanks to Drew Stanton for joining us. Special thanks, as always, Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher, Ali Narini. Once again, show number 650 in the history of the Big Red Rage, which goes back to 2001, season 24. And it's been a pleasure every step of the way. The Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. You've been listening to The Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. The Rage is brought to you by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.